Hey, Graphic Audio fans. This is Dwayne Beeman here with this week's Pick of the Week. This week's pick will focus on the first book of a fantasy series that we have been doing here at Graphic Audio. Peter David's Modern Author Number 1, Nightlife. You guys, especially the comic geeks, know who Peter David is. For those who don't know, he is an accomplished author with dozens and dozens of comic and science fiction titles under his belt. Modern Author, Nightlife, represents the very first novel he had written back in the late 1980s. And the premise of this story is exactly what the title says. Modern Author, meaning King Author living in a modern world. If you're a fan of Arthurian literature, you know that King Arthur suffered defeat at the hands of the infamous traitor, Modred. However, in this story, Arthur didn't die. Instead, he and the wizard Merlin camp out in a cave for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, we find ourselves in present-day society. Arthur and Merlin, who has been aging backwards and is now in the body of a child, come out of the cave and try to fit in present-day New York City. Arthur only knows how to do one thing, and that is to rule. But running for president of the United States may be too lofty of a goal for Arthur. So, he decides to take baby steps and run for mayor of New York City. Can my man Arthur do it? You're gonna have to get the book to find out. Very interesting twist to the King Arthur story indeed. Plus, all the characters that you love and enjoy are in this story, but with a different spin on them. To bring this story to life in graphic audio, we enlisted director slash sound designer extraordinaire Nathaniel Perry to do the honors, and he does an awesome job with the support of Terrence Aselford as narrator, Matthew Keenan as King Arthur, Amanda Forstrom, Nana Ingvarsson, Kimberly Gilbert, Ken Jackson, Chris Genabaugh, Scott McCormick, David Jordan, Eva Wilhelm, and Nick DePinto, among others. This is an entertaining graphic audio production that you will enjoy for sure. So don't delay. Go grab modern author Nightlife today. Let's listen to a clip of graphic audio's production of Peter David's modern author number one, Nightlife. The apartment was dark, illuminated only by the dim flickering of the 12-inch black-and-white Sony that sat atop a scratched coffee table. The Sony itself was showing its age rather severely, having been purchased second-hand from a going-out-of-business motel some years earlier. There was a bent antenna on top of it and a thick film of dust across the screen, which whimsically had the words, Life Sucks, etched in it. The apartment had clearly been allowed to go to seed, the wallpaper was yellowed and peeling, with squares and circles imprinted where various paintings or pictures had once hung. The floor was bare, the boards warped and uneven. Off to one side was a small kitchen that had a gas stove, last cleaned sometime around the Hoover administration, and a refrigerator stocked with two cracked eggs, half a stale loaf of Wonder Bread, and a flat bottle of club soda, and three six-packs of beer. The apartment's sole occupant was also visible in the cathode's unflattering glow. Then again, the only thing that could have been flattering to the occupant at that moment was utter darkness. An old sitcom was playing on the screen, but she had the sound off. She had seen it before. She had seen all of them before. It didn't matter to her. Nothing much mattered anymore. She smiled slightly at the antics of the castaways on the screen. Somehow Gilligan was always able to make her smile slightly. A buffoon, a simple jester. Simple. She remembered when her life was simple. She took a sip of the beer, finishing the contents of the can and tossing it off into the darkness. 
Morgan Le Fay hauled her corpulent body protestingly to its feet. She was clad in a faded housecoat that had once been purple, and her swollen feet were crammed into large, fuzzy slippers. Her tresses, once a pure raven color, were shot through with gray. The formerly fine lines of her face, her sleek jaw, and high cheekbones were now sliding off into her collarbone. She had given up counting her chins, as another one seemed to spring into existence every decade, like clockwork. As she waddled into the kitchen, her housecoat tugged at the protesting buttons, threatening to pull them all off their thin moorings. She made her way across the kitchen and pulled open the refrigerator door. She saw something out of the corner of her eye, scampering away across the kitchen floor. Good luck finding something around here to use. She squinted slightly into the fridge. The refrigerator bulb was nearly blinding in contrast to the dimness of the rest of the place. She reached in and snapped another can of beer out of a half-consumed six-pack and lurched back across the kitchen. As she sank back into the easy chair, resting her hands in the customary places on the arms, she watched the final credits on this latest rerun of The Adventures of the Castaways. Even more than Gilligan, she empathized with the concept of castaways as a whole. She was a castaway too, drifting, floating on an island of isolation, abandoned by happenstance, cast off by fate, alone, forgotten. And prone to indulging in lengthy exhibitions of self-pity. Don't forget that. The cold beverage slid down her throat, bathing her in a familiar warmth and haze. She patted the can lovingly. Her one friend, her familiar. She held up the can in a salute. To mighty Morgan. Here's to eternal life and to the thrice damned gods who showed me how to have it. <laughs> For the first time in a long time, Morgan really thought about what she had become. She drew back her arm and hurled the half-empty can square into the TV. Except the can was not propelled by a normal arm making a normal throw. Instead, in that throw was centuries of ennui, of frustration and anger, heaving it in an eldritch fit of pique. Against such a display, the ancient television had no chance. Acrid smoke rose from the back of the set. Her face sank into her hands. Her sides heaved in and out. The rolls of fat that made up her body shook with the rage and frustration she released. She cursed all the fates that had brought her to this point in her life, and it was then that she resolved to put a stop to it. It was not the first occasion she had done so, but every time she had decided to terminate her wretched life, she had always thought better of it. Her loathing had always turned outward. I still hate. She had always managed to say, make it sound as if she meant it. But this time, though, this time, something had broken within her. She had no idea what had done it, what single thing had set it off. It probably wasn't any one thing, she realized. It was probably the collective weight of it all, crunching down upon her until, all at once, it had proven unendurable. Existence for the sake of existence alone is no existence at all. I am a mushroom, a fungus. I have lived far too long, and it's time I rested. She waited a moment to see if some other aspect of her mind would tell her that she was wrong, but none did. Knowing beyond question that she was doing the right thing, she stood again, but this time with far greater assurance, 
for her movements now had a purpose to them other than simple self-perpetuation. She lumbered into the kitchen, fumbled through a drawer crammed with plastic spoons from Carvel's ice cream stores and equally harmless knives from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Finally, she extracted a steak knife. She blanched at the rust, then realized that rust was hardly a concern. She sat back down in front of the TV, the knife now cradled serenely in the crook of her arm. The TV screen had miraculously mended itself. There was a crisscross of hairline fractures across it, but these two would fade in time. Not that this was any concern to Morgan either. One last time, old enemy. Her thin, arched eyebrows reached just to the top of her forehead, even though her eyes were little more than slits beneath painted green lids. She fumbled in the drawer next to her for the remote control, and she started to flick the switch. Time had lost all meaning to her, and she could not recall how long it had been since she had looked in on him. Five days? Five months? Years? She was not certain. Once these long-distance viewings had exacted a great toll from her, physically and spiritually, she had had to use specially prepared mirrors or magic crystals. With the advent of the diodes and catheters, however, had come a revolution in the art of magic. A one-time ensorcelment of wires and tubes, and she could look in on him whenever she wished. That was why she had never opted for solid-state components. She didn't trust her ability to control something as arcane as microcircuitry. She clicked her remote to channel one, and the smiling face of the news anchor disappeared. In its place was the exterior of a cave. Erosion and overgrowth had altered the exterior somewhat, but not enough to throw her. She knew the cave on sight, and she would take the knowledge to her grave, providing that someone ever found her bloated body and tossed it into the ground for her. Yes, yes, they probably would, once her decaying corpse smelled so bad that no one in the neighborhood could take it anymore. She took some tiny measure of comfort in that, that in her death she would at least be able to provide inconvenience for somebody. She held the knife to her wrist. She should really do this in a bathtub, she remembered reading now, but she hated the water. Besides, she wanted to be here in front of the entombed resting place of her greatest magical opponent. She stared at the cave entrance on her TV screen. You'd really enjoy this moment, wouldn't you, you cursed old coot? Morgan Le Fay driven to this by you. You knew this would happen someday. This is your doing, you reaching out from beyond the grave. She pressed the blade against the skin of her right wrist. Damn you, Merlin. You finally won. She set her teeth against the anticipated pain of the knife digging into her flesh, and then she stopped. She leaned forward, the knife still against the side of her wrist, forgotten now. She squinted, rubbed her eyes, and focused again. Against the mouth of the cave rested a huge stone covered with moss and vegetation. This stone was far more than just a dead weight. It was held in place through the magic of a woman's wiles, and there is no stronger bond than that. And though the woman, Nineveh, was long gone, the magic should have held for all eternity. The operative word here being should. For Morgan now saw that the rock had moved. It had rolled ever so slightly to one side, creating an opening. An opening far too small for a man to squeeze through. But still, it hadn't been there before. Quickly and deftly, she manipulated the remote control. Responding to it, the TV screen zoomed in tight on the hole. 
Yes, definitely new. She had never seen it before, and she could see where the overgrown leaves had been ripped away when the stone was moved. Moved? But who moved it? It was more than she dared hope. The camera panned down away from the hole, which was several feet above the ground. There were footprints. She had no clue when they'd been left there. Once she would have known immediately, for in olden times she had looked in on this spot every day. She would have spotted any change, no matter how minor, within 24 hours. Less, considering she used to check two, even three times a day if she was bored. But with passing years had come passing interest, and the occasional look-see had seemed to suffice. Seemed to, but clearly did not. Yes, footprints. But more than that, she realized, barefoot. And something else, they were small, a child's, heading one way, away from the cave. A child? Of course, of course. Morgan Le Fay, half-sister of King Arthur Pendragon, incestuous lover of her brother, mother of the bastard Modred, tilted her head back. <laughs> if anyone had once dared tell her that she would be happy over the escape of her deadliest enemy, she would have erased that unfortunate person from the face of the earth. The suggestion was positively ludicrous, but her life had become no less ludicrous, and knowledge of the departure of the cave's occupant from his place of imprisonment had fallen into her lap like a gift from a benevolent, if somewhat twisted, god. For Morgan Le Fay had come to realize that she thrived on conflict and hatred. It was as mother's milk to her, and without that, her spirit had shriveled away to a small, ugly thing lost somewhere in an unkempt form. Now, though, her spirit soared. She spread her arms, and a wind arose around her, blowing wide the swinging windows of her apartment. It was the first time in several years that clean air, or at least what passed for clean air in her neck of the woods, had been allowed in, and it swept through as if entering a vacuum. Fresh air filling her nostrils, Morgan became aware of the filth in which she had resided for some time. Her nose wrinkled, and she shook her head. She went to the window and stepped up onto the sill, reveling in the force of the wind she had summoned. Above her, clouds congealed, tore apart, and re-knit, blackness swarming over them. Far below, pedestrians ran about, pulling their coats tight around them against the unexpected turn of bad weather. A few glanced up at Morgan in the window, but went on about their business, jamming their hands down atop their heads to prevent their hats or wigs from blowing away. Morgan drank it in, thriving on the chaos of the storm. Merlin, Merlin, demon son, the mighty had fallen mage, you had fallen, I had fallen, all was gone, and you were in your hell and I was in mine. <gasps> she felt the refreshing, chilled sting of cold air in her lungs. Oh. She reveled in the tactile sensation of her housecoat blowing all around her, the wind enveloping her flimsy garment. Your back now, but so am I. I have waited these long centuries for you, Merlin, guarding against the day that you might return, and yet now I glory in it, for I am alive today, Merlin. Do you hear me, old man? Morgan Le Fay lives, and while I live, I hate. Sweet hate. 
I have nurtured all these long decades and centuries. And it's all for you, Merlin. All for you and your damned Arthur. Wherever you are, Merlin, quake in fear. I am coming for you. Thank you for saving my life, Merlin. And I shall return the favor a thousandfold. I, Morgan Le Fay, <laughs> I can live again. I can breathe again. I can have my hatred. I can have my revenge. And I can get the hell out of New Jersey. If you enjoyed listening to the clip of modern author number one, Nightlife, you can purchase the title right here on our website, www.graphicaudio.net. The book is available in MP3, M4B, and FLAC download formats, and in audio CD format. Plus, you can listen to your downloads anytime, anywhere with our Graphic Audio Access app, available for Apple and Android devices. Be back soon as I'll have another pick of the week for you. Until then, grace. Thank you.